and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask that you be with us as we look at your word. Help us to see the truth of what we're learning. Help us to understand this truth as well as we go through it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 14, which we've already covered because it's one long sentence. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might of his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and height and depth and, and length, I missed that, <laughs> and to know the love of Christ which passes understanding, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Last week we talked about love and its definition of love. And uh, so we weren't going to go a lot in this, but we're continuing on this theme of love. And Paul, and we're going to be starting basically in verse 18, and Paul says that you may be able to comprehend with all saints. Now, this comprehend literally means to take hold of as your own possession. And he's talking about the love of God. We are to take hold of his love. We are to live in that love. Jesus said that we will know that we are his disciples by his, our love one for another, which is his love for one another. And we talked a lot last week all about the definition of love and went to 1 Corinthians 13 and, and went through all the definitions of love and really fleshed that out. And Paul's saying we're to comprehend that. We're to grab hold of his love and make it part of us. And, and then he goes on that we would be able to understand the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of his love. It's very interesting that we will never know <laughs> the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of his love. Because it's eternal. It's, it's so large we can't comprehend it. And it's just like when we talk about how, how powerful is God. Okay? No matter how powerful you think he is, <laughs> add to it. <laughs> double it, triple it, quadruple it, and you still won't have how powerful he is. His love is the same way. No matter how loving you think God is, it's not big enough. And Paul's saying we're to comprehend that, we're to be able to understand it, and we're no way can we understand the love of God. And we're going to do, once we go through this, we're going to walk through the Bible a little bit and look at some of these things to try to figure out how big his love is. Verse 18 says, excuse me, verse 19 says, to know the love of Christ which passes all understanding. Do you realize that God's love is something we can't understand? He loved us while we were enemies. He loved us before he created us knowing that man was going to sin and it was going to cost him the son's life to redeem us. And yet he created us. To me, that doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense to me. And yet God does. Or did. We're going we're gonna to kind of wander through the Bible a little bit. And I've marked them so I can get there fast so we don't take all morning. So if you can keep up, that's good. Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 3. says that the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God loves us enough to draw us to him. Do you realize that? When we're sinners, the last thing we probably want to do is come toward God. Because we all know that that's true because how often have you been in sin and the last person you even wanted to be near is a good, good Christian? Not because they were going to condemn you, not because they were going to make fun of you, but you felt bad for your lifestyle when you were around them because they brought God into the situation. If it wasn't for God drawing us to him, none of us would ever want to come to him because our sin would say no. Sin does not like to be seen in the light. Does not like to be brought to the light. And if you've been walking with God long enough, you know that that's true. The, the closer you get to and the more light he shines in your life to show you how bad you are. Because he doesn't want us ever thinking that we did something to deserve him. Because we didn't. The problem with some people that get raised in a church is sometimes they begin to think that they're not really that bad. That was part of Job's problem when he was being, being tested. He was, God said he was an upright and perfect man, but yet Job had sin. And Job's arguments was, well, I'm, they're covered under the blood. I'm, I'm perfect. I have not done anything wrong. I treat people good. And at the very end of the book, God says, where were you when I did this, 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 and this? You know, where were you when I gave forgiveness? Where, you know, and at the very last chapter, he says, finally comes to the conclusion, I'm worthless, I'm, I'm a sinner, I, I'm terrible. And we all have to be reminded of that. We are sinners. And I've said it over and over. Our first instinct in any situation is going to be the flesh. You know, and if you don't believe it, have somebody smack you across the face one time and see what your first instinct is. <laughs> You're ready to defend yourself and fight back. Now, you may or may not, depending on how fast God's way comes in on you, <laughs> but your first instinct always is a fleshly instinct because we are flesh. The closer we walk with God, the more we can have God's answer and God's thought right up there with it. But we are drawn to God. He draws us. That's why we will get convicted. That is why we will confess our sins. That's why we become a Christian in the first place. He draws us. It's not us. It's not us deciding to go to God. He draws. And that's what Jeremiah tells us. We're going to go to Romans 5.8. Many of you might have this memorized. It's a wonderful verse for salvation. Romans 5.8. But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the, if you do the Romans road, that's the third verse in the Romans road. First you tell them they are, they are a sinner and that sin is worthy of death and then you go, but God commended his love. What kind of love is that? That he says, I'm going to show you my love by sending my son to die so that you can be made perfect in his sight. If he hadn't done that, we all would have no hope. If he hadn't done that, Jesus didn't come, we would have had no hope for heaven, no hope for eternal life with God. We would have been condemned to hell. And if Jesus had not agreed to die, I do not believe that God would have created the world to send all these people to hell. Because he loved us and loves us. We, we think about this. God says we're to show love. 
How many of us are ready, really ready to show love to somebody we don't like? <laughs> Maybe even we hate them. And God says, love. Love. Reach out to. Minister to. Have the love that he has. Romans 8.23 And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown... That's not the verse I'm supposed to read. 35. Terrible looking at my notes and seeing the wrong verse. All right, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for my sake they are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. How many times have you been separated from God's love by a little bit of trials? <laughs> It's not, God didn't do it. We do it ourselves when we, when we don't feel it. He still loves us. Yeah. And we want to, as Christians, sometimes we think, well, life's going to be all good and, and rosy and, and perfect because I'm a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are pastors out there that teach that kind of stuff, but it's, they're not being biblical. Jesus said, they, they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And if we're not being persecuted, are we showing Jesus? That's something for us to look at. If people aren't saying that, you know, there's something wrong and you're different, then there's some, they're not there. But we're loved by God. And if we're living the way we're supposed to, and we're living in him as our fortress, our shield, our buckler, our defense, it doesn't matter whether the world's against us. Because the world pounds on him. Just as if we were in a shelter or a fortress, the, the attacks fall on the, shelter, the fortress. You can, you can get into a castle, those old fashioned castles that you've seen with the great big walls, and you can just sit there and they can shoot all the arrows and stones they want at you as long as you're sitting behind the wall and you're not going to care. If you were out in the battle, you would care. Jesus, God says, I am your fortress. I am your shield. He is our strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are saved. When we're tempted, run to Christ. When you're having a hard time, run to Christ. He doesn't mind being your fortress. He doesn't mind being the crutch that you hide behind. Matter of fact, he tells us to do it. Everybody has a crutch. If you ever talk to somebody about God, and they go, well, I don't need that crutch. I don't need God. He's just nothing but a crutch. Well, what are they using for a crutch? They're using something. You know, it may be just your willpower, which is very rare, or they're using alcohol or drugs or work or family or hobbies. <laughs> they're doing something. They just don't look at it the same way they do God. And God tells us, go hide in him. When you're tempted, hide in him. When you're having a hard time, hide in him. And We've talked about this at other times. Have you ever gone through a really hard time in your life and you kind of look back and you realize how hard it was but it didn't seem hard at the time because your eyes were focused on God? I hope so. It's happened to me a lot where I focus on God and then I kind of look back and say, wow, a lot's happened in the last, last week, month, year, <laughs> decade, whatever it might be, looking back on. But God says, hide in him. 
Let him be your defense. And nothing can separate us from his love because he's going to love us. It's a very powerful thought. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. God allows us to be friends and fellow servants. It's a very powerful idea. God allows us to help him. Do you realize God can do anything he wanted to do? He doesn't need us to do anything. You know, the greatest thing we did to do in, in, as Christians is to give the gospel. But do you realize in the book of Revelation it has a, there's a verse that tells that there's an angel going to fly through the heavens preaching the gospel after the church is gone? If you don't, if you don't believe it, go look it up. Go look it up. But an angel preaches the gospel. God doesn't need people to do it. He gives us the privilege of presenting the gospel. The privilege. The privilege of being able to say, do you want to live forever with God? And here's how you do it. And it's not the way the world tells them, do good things. That'll hit, take you straight to hell. There are going to be a lot of good people in hell. That's what the scriptures tell us. Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness are filthy rags, so all the good things you can do, as far as God's concerned, they're filthy rags. There are going to be a lot of people we consider good in hell. And the flip side of that is, there's going to be a lot of bad people in heaven. Seems like when God said we're all bad to begin with, but I'm literally meaning somebody can live a bad lifestyle, and as long as they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and been changed, they'll go to heaven. The worst person you can possibly think of, if they say at the last moment of their life and mean it, Jesus, God, I'm a sinner. I accept the sacrifice of Jesus. Take me to heaven. They'll be in heaven. Now, most really, really bad people aren't going to ask, ask that prayer at the last second of their life. But you never know. God loves us that much. His desire is that no one, no one goes to hell. 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the, the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Why do we want to love one another? Why do we show love? Because it's what God shows us. He lives in us. He wants us to spread that out. He wants to give it out. Have you thought about this, how it applies? I want to look back at Ephesians again. It says that we might be filled with the fullness of God. This word filled is a wonderful word. It literally means to be filled to the very top. Nothing else could be filled. It would be taking a glass and filling it to the point where it's ready to run over. And the word even indicates that it will run over. <laughs> We're to be filled that much with his love. And the fullness of God. Fullness. Again, he fills all of us up. 
Now think about this. As we're living the Christian life and God is dwelling in us, filling us completely full, what should happen? If we're full of God, we should be letting God out. Letting him splash all over everybody. <laughs> be talked about. Be loved. God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are we loving people? You know, have you ever met somebody that say, well, they're just so bad, they don't deserve. They don't deserve God's love. Well, neither did we. In reality, neither did we. If we see ourselves as we really are, we don't deserve his love. We don't deserve the sacrifice of Christ. The problem is we don't see sin for what it is. Many of us grade sins. Well, this person is just a lightweight sinner. They don't, they don't sin too much. They, they tell a few lies once in a while. Uh, maybe they go 20 miles over the speed limit. They're not bad. <laughs> this person over here, wow, they're terrible. They're, they're a drug abuser. They're, they're, they kill people. They're steal. And you know what? The consequences for his sins are worse than the person who we think is not a bad sinner. But both are sin in God's eyes and deserve help. We need to understand how bad sin is. And the step that's usually forgiven when we, uh, forgotten when we give the gospel message is how bad is sin? It deserves absolute punishment, and that's death. And this is where we get into this thing. When we've been a Christian for a long time, we start to think sometimes, well, I'm not quite as bad as all these other people. You know. I try not to lie, I try not to murder people, I try not to steal, I try not to gossip. You know, and usually are fairly successful at those things as Christians and walking with God. But you know we're still sinners. And then you take a look at it, Jesus is when he says if you, if you look on somebody with lustful thoughts, you, in his, God's eyes you committed adultery. If you got angry with somebody, and I know none of the people in this room ever get angry at anybody. You know, but you get angry with somebody, Jesus said it's equivalent to murder in God's eyes because you thought the idea. We start thinking about how God sees it. God sees sin. And if we really want to see ourselves the way he sees it, we'd be horrified. And we think about this. Are there any sins in your mind that really horrify you? You know, I know for some of you that's true because I've talked with people and they go, well, I just can't imagine this particular sin. Well, that's God's attitude multiplied toward any sin. Even if we don't think it's bad, it, whatever you think is the most horrific sin out there, God's attitude toward all sin is that bad. And I just bring that up because I had somebody just this week talk to me about something they think is a, considered a really horrible sin. God's, God's mind on that is that's any sin. It repulses him. When he sees any sin, even when we think it's little, it repulses him if he was to see it. The good news is Jesus' blood paid for sin. He died so that we would be able to be forgiven. Jesus laid down his life for us. He's in us. We should be willing to lay down our life, not just for a good friend. Now that happens frequently. People will you know, give up their life or put their life in jeopardy for family, you know, especially close family, their children, their parents, maybe even good friends. How many of us would go and do something that to our hurt to be able to reach somebody who we think is terrible? 
This is the purpose that Christians get into. The Christians have always reached out over the ages. Do you realize there wouldn't be orphanages and, and protective places for women, abused women, without the church? The church is what has built these institutions up because of their care. There's a, there's a, cent, a story I read about a centurion trying to clear out this city that had a plague. And he, he finally wrote to Rome, all the, all the people that aren't sick are out of the city except for this group of people who won't leave the followers of the way. Christians stayed in, in a place that was going to be, potentially kill them so they could minister to the sick. This is what Christians have done over and over and over again. Do we turn our back on those that need help? Or are we ready to help? That doesn't mean enable them to keep living a bad life. <laughs> okay. There is a point where you say, no, you're just being enabled to continue sinning. You know, you're not going to take a drug user and give them their drugs so they can keep, keep using their drugs and saying you're helping them. That's not helping them. Now, we could help them get off them, <laughs> care for them when they're going through the withdrawal and all of that, and that would be being Christian and help them get to know God. Are we ready and able to do that? Are we ready to turn to the people that we think are the worst sinners out there and say, I'm, I'm going to give you the gospel. I'm going to help you. This is the important thing. God's love in us. You know, how many of us have Christians that we won't even love that way? You know, fellow Christians that we just think, well, no, they've hurt me too bad. I can't forgive them, and I'm not going not to be around them. You realize we have to give them love as well? We have to be the one that gives them love and show God's love, draw them back to Christ. Because most of the time when we're, when we're mad at somebody, they probably don't even know you're mad at them. <laughs> you know, that's the crazy thing out there. You may be mad at somebody for years because they said or did something that really offended you and you know for sure that they did it on purpose. I'm going to tell you right now, we were studying in, 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 in a couple weeks ago. When you assign motive to somebody's action, you're in trouble. <laughs> I know that they said this, but this is what they mean, and I know that that's what they mean, and they did it on purpose. All they did was say something, and they probably didn't mean anything by it. Can't tell you how many times I've had that happen to me. Well, you said such and such, and I got offended because you meant this. I go, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything like that. I'm really sorry that, I, that you took it that way. I didn't mean that. But what I've seen and heard of people who've gone decades being mad at somebody and the other person doesn't even know they're mad. All they know is they don't talk to them. God's love says, stop. Reach out to people. Even if they did it on purpose, reach out to them and, fix, and, and love them. You may or may not be able to fix the problem. But you've taken the first step. You've taken the first step to reach out. And you'll be saved so much agony. Having bitterness in your heart anger in your heart, the only one that's really hurt is you. Even if it's legitimate toward the other person, the only one who's really being hurt is you. Your whole body is going to suffer because of that anger and that hurt. If possible, just get it out of the way. Forgive them. Confess it. Get, out of, get it out of the way and say, I'm sorry. Or can we fix this? Or can we care more about it? But it's important for us to do our part. Jesus said that if you don't forgive others, the Father won't forgive you. And that is not a heaven or hell forgiveness. It is the forgiveness of the joy of your spirit. 
If you want to lock your joy up, don't forgive people. Be bitter toward them. But God told us that he's going to give us joy. Jesus lives in us and we have joy. And we let Satan steal it from us so often. How often do we let Satan steal our joy by giving in to circumstances and being angry at somebody and living under circumstances? It's been said, and I agree with it, that I am going to have a good day by choice. doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm going to have a good day. It may be a hard day, it may not, but I'm going to have a good day. Some days are harder than others, but I'm focused on God, saying, God, we're going to find out what it is you want me to do. Job had a rough time when he had his bad day because he took his eyes off God. Peter walked in the middle of the storm on the water when he was looking at Jesus. He took his eyes off Jesus and he was sinking. But he knew what to do because what did he do? Lord, help me. And Jesus lifted him back up and put him in the boat. What kind of life are you going to live? One without joy bound by petty or even significant problems and anger toward other people or one of freedom. It's our choice. It really is our choice. Because every trial is designed to say, are you going to look to God or are you going to be defeated? And 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, there is no temptation overtaken us, but such it is common, but God is able of a God but it's common to a man, but God is able to you know, provide a way of escape for us. He's got a way of escape for us. It's look to him. Look to him and say, God, I am going to live in the joy of my salvation. I am not going to live a defeated life. Nothing can separate us from God, the love of God, as long as we're focused on him, hiding in him. If we want to be out in the middle of the battle with no armor on, no defense, you'll get beat up. You know, yeah. And this is, makes a lot of sense. If you go into a battle without being armed <laughs> and the other people are armed, <laughs> you're not coming out of the battle very good, are you? You're going to be abused. You're going to be hurt. We're told to put on the full armor of God. Do you realize that every piece of the armor is Jesus? He is our righteousness. He is our salvation. He is our faith. He is, our, he is the spirit, sword of the spirit. He is the girdle of truth. He is the shoes of the gospel. He's literally saying, put Christ on every morning before you go out to battle in this world. All through Psalms it says, run to the tower, hide in the towers, hide behind the buckler, hide behind the, you know, all these terms of war that says, hide. That's what God wants us to do. Hide in him. Look to him for your protection. And live in victory. Don't live defeated. And it's, and it really is simple. When somebody wants to say something bad to you about somebody else, do you listen and say, well, I'm just going to listen to see if it's true? Or do you shut them down? Most of us, unfortunately, listen too many times. And it's really none of our business, is it? It's none of our business what somebody else is doing, especially from somebody who's not them. If they want to share with you for prayer and they want to share with you details, that's between them and you. But it's not any of my business of what, what so-and-so is doing down the street because you think I need to know. Now, a lot of times people think a pastor has to know these things. No, God's going to tell me what I need to know and, and I can pray for you. You can tell me this, this person needs prayer. They're having a hard time. 
That's all I need to know because God knows the details. I don't need to know. I've had people tell me, well, you need to know where this person came from so you can minister to them. No, I don't because I'm going to know no man after the flesh. I want him to be a new creation in Christ and be a new person. I don't need to know their past history. It's not relevant to how we deal with people because love forgives, love forbears, and I've told you forbear is my favorite word in the scriptures. It literally means that I give up my right to demand punishment. And we're told to forbear one another. Forbear one another. That means when, you, when anybody does something that really deserves punishment, I, as a Christian, can go and say, God, I just forgive them. Don't, don't punish. You know, I'm asking that nothing happens from this. Show them your love. Show them your grace and mercy. Is that easy to do? Not at first. You've got to practice it. Just as everything I've talked about, all spiritual walk takes practice. Is it going to be easy? No. None of us remember probably getting up and crawling and walking in our childhood, but you remember your kids maybe. You know, and we didn't expect our kid to just jump up and run across the room on the very first time that they moved, did we? We were happy that they rolled over. All right, you did a good job. You rolled over. We didn't go, you dumb kid, get up and run now. <laughs> Too many times as Christians, we expect Christians to start running before they even know how to turn over. Now, for having said that, those of us who've been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years, we should be running. Uh, if you've got a 40-year-old kid and he's still turning over and you're praising them for turning over, you've got a problem. Okay? You know, too many Christians are still barely turning over, barely crawling when they should be running. Paul lamented this when he was talking to Timothy. When you ought to be teaching others, we are teaching you the, the basic truths. We need to grow. You know, and we don't want to use it as an excuse. Well, I'm still growing. Well, you're, you're 30 years old in Christ, and you're still crawling around, pooping your diaper, and drinking milk. That's not where you're supposed to be. You should be the one that's up there helping to teach those young Christians, getting them to learn how to give the gospel how to pray, how to stand up for God. So we want to be able to look at this. We are full of God. The fullness of God dwells in us fully. Don't ever forget how much of God you have in you as a Christian. If you're not a Christian, he's not there. Don't worry about it. But when you're a Christian, he is fully inhabiting you. And his, everywhere you go brings his presence into that room. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody when, you, when they walk in you just feel God entering in because they walked in. I've seen it happen. Matter of fact, being a manager, I had that happen. I had people that would behave, not because I said you can't curse, you can't do this, but they knew God was there. And they would apologize to me. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I never once told them they couldn't curse. I couldn't, never once told them they couldn't use God's name in vain. But yet, they felt the conviction because God was there. Remember, we bring him into every situation. We bring him everywhere we go. We're going to close in prayer. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to really consider praying and asking him, tell him that you are a sinner because we all are sinners. And sin deserves punishment. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then Jesus died for us.
and he's holding out a gift. And he's asking you, take this gift. Take it. Have you ever tried to give somebody a gift and they wouldn't take it? I've had that happen. I just want to give you this. No, 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 I don't want it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy sometimes because they always think there's strings attached to it and God's given us a gift, a gift of himself where he, we can live in. Let's go to those in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity. Lord, we ask that you help us to learn to love one another. Help us to take the first steps to, to seek reconciliation with others as we have reconciled with you. Where you reached out and touched us, Lord, help us to reach out and touch them. And we just thank you for that and ask you to be with us in your son's name. Amen.